Okay, I am now official. So Luke chapter 22, uh, in our last lesson, as we've been going through this chapter, uh, we read where the chief priests, you know, the religious leadership of the people, you know, they were kind of anxious about Jesus. They were fearful of the threat that they perceived that uh, Jesus posed upon their status and station in, in the political scene on, on, of their nation. And so these men, being the poor shepherds that they were, they, their chief concern wasn't so much for the people, but for their, own, for their own sake, for their own status, for their own station. And so these chief priests, as we saw here in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, they wanted to destroy Jesus. Uh, because, like I said, they believed that uh, Jesus was a threat, so they figured if they destroyed Jesus, then that would be the final solution to their problem. But they didn't want to do it in such a way that uh, it would cause a riot among the people, because if you remember, we sa- I said that uh, it was calculated that at this particular time during the Passover, there would be over 2 million people in this in this town of Jerusalem. And so they definitely did not want to get... Two million people all work up and start a riot. So their plan was to bide their time and uh, attempt to take Jesus in such a way that um, it would pose to be less risk to themselves. All right, uh, no riots in the streets, and that when they did take Jesus uh, to destroy him, uh, that they would do it in such a way that it would be uh, too little or too late for the people to do anything about it. So they wanted to take him secretly, quietly, and do away with him. So now, I, I, I titled that last week, The World Prepares for the Passover. Well, this week, we're going to look at Hell Prepares for the Passover. Because it appears, as we read in verse 3, it appears that the devil had other plans. He wasn't wanting to wait. So look here at verse 3. Luke 22, 3 through 6. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So he understood Judas understood what these men wanted to do. They wanted to take Jesus in secret so they could do away with him. Okay, so, you know, I thought about uh, this passage and thought about different ways of approaching it. You know, um, I don't know about you guys, but um, Judas Iscariot to me is a puzzle. He's an enigma to me. Uh, Think about it. He was, he was one of the twelve. Uh, he witnessed much. He saw the miracles. He heard the preaching. In fact, he himself was involved in the ministry. God, uh, Jesus gave him authority to cast out de- devils and, and to heal folks as he went around uh, with uh, his partner to preach the kingdom. Uh, so he saw a lot and he witnessed a lot. But yet we read here that when he got the opportunity to do so, he slips away from the other 12 and goes and betrays Jesus. This is, to me, quite remarkable. 
You know, Judas was present in John. Turn to John chapter 6. Judas was present when Peter made that great profession of faith in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, of course, that's the chapter that we uh, read about where they tried to make him king and he talked about the bread of life and so or talked about the manna from heaven and so forth and so on. And in John chapter 6, verse 68, we read Peter saying, he says here in verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, why did he say that? Because some of the disciples left Jesus because of the hard sayings. They said, these sayings are too hard for us. So they left. And so Jesus asked, are you guys going to leave too? And so Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Now it's true that Peter was the spokesman of the rest of them, right? But we don't read where any of them disagreed with Peter. They all had this consensus of what Peter said. Even Judas, he didn't say anything. So if you were there and you heard... Peter make this confession and you were observing the group then you would have to say everybody agreed with what Peter had to say even even Judas Iscariot now it is true that later on in this passage Jesus said have not I chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil but as far as who this devil was was not revealed to the others until after Judas did what he did in betraying the Lord in the garden and so forth and so on. But they didn't know who Jesus was talking about. But the Lord knew, didn't he? Because the Lord knows the hearts of men. And the Lord knew that there was something brewing in Judas's heart that, well, wasn't quite right. If you look up here in John 6.64, we already see that Jesus knew some things. He says, but there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. So this statement shows to us that he had foreknowledge about this. And only God has such foreknowledge. Of course, that's the theme of John's gospel, isn't it? That Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, the only begotten Son of God. So, you know, he's showing forth his deity here. He had foreknowledge about what was going on. So in this conversation, in this interchange between Lord and his disciples, I see words of not only, I see words of, of affirmation, but I also see words of warning. Look again, it says, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And then verse 71, John, of course, he writes in this little comment, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. See, I see words of affirmation to the faithful. Now, if you were faithful and your heart was right towards the Lord and you heard him say, have I not chosen you, that would encourage you, that would edify you, that would bring about that affirmation. But, if your heart was not 
so sound and you heard Jesus and one of you is the devil, how do you think that would, how, how do you think you would respond to that? I think, I think Jesus said that to get Judas to start thinking, okay, Judas, do you really agree with what Peter said here? And I can't imagine the, the wrestling in this man's mind and heart about Jesus. Because we read in John 6, 6, 6, 66 that there were those who left Jesus because of the hard sayings. Judas could have left. Is that right? He could have gone, but he didn't. He chose to stay. He remained with the other 12. And it may be with Jesus' words that one of them was a devil. It could be that Jesus, uh, Judas may have heard this as a warning. And it could be that his conscience may have been pricked. But here's the problem. It wasn't, his conscience wasn't affected enough to where it would change his heart concerning Jesus. And that's sadly the, the issue with a lot of people. They hear the truth. They know it's the truth. They know the truth applies to them. They know what they must do. But they harden their heart against that truth. And they don't act on the truth. And the truth doesn't change them. doesn't set them free. Also, you know, you got to remember that even though Peter made this remarkable statement, right? What did Peter later do? He denied the Lord three times, didn't he? He did. He denied the Lord three times. Also, when they came to arrest Jesus, what did the others do? They ran away, didn't they? They ran away. I, I say that... Uh, just to bring up this point, because I think even in the disciples' minds, even up to that point, I think there were some issues about Jesus in their own minds that they hadn't quite settled. It's true today with a lot of people. They have issues about their loyalty to Jesus, their commitment to Jesus but they haven't quite settled yet in their own minds I mean we kind of know that all these guys kind of had a a different perspective about the Lord didn't they and about his ministry I mean even up to his ascension they still wondered are you going to bring the kingdom even today so you know they they had some issues they had some things that they weren't able to quite get straight yet And the reason why I bring that up is because we all have these issues and these perceptions that we all kind of deal with, trying to get straight in our head. And the thing with Judas, he also labored under these these perceptions about the Lord and the kingdom, but unlike the others, his thinking led into perdition, into destruction. And that's the key. That's the key. How is your thinking leading you? 
Where is it taking you? That's very important. That's very important. In John 13, 2, we read about the Lord's Supper. And it says, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That phrase, having now put into the heart, means that Judas's choice to portray Jesus was already there while he was at the supper with Jesus. It was something that he had already agreed in his own mind to do. And that's what we're reading about here in Luke 22. This is the very beginning of what took place at the supper. So this tells me that there's been a progression in Judas's heart and mind that led him to this situation. And that's generally what happens, folks. It's not things that happen all of a sudden without reason. There are steps, there are progressions that lead us to that time when we do what we do, as in Judas's case. Now, what triggered this ultimate declension in his mind? What, what was it that finally tipped Judas in the wrong direction? Turn to John chapter 12. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is the account where Mary comes and pours that costly ointment upon the Lord and preparing for his burial. In John chapter 12, starting in verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now notice the comment that John writes here. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but ye, but me ye have not always. You know, James gives us the warning in James 1.8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I believe that Judas Iscariot was a double-minded man. I mean, who really knows what's in the heart of some... And what it will take to tip them over to the edge uh, on a course of self-destruction. So do you think the other apostles saw that? Obviously John did, right? No, they did not. Because if you remember in the, in the, in the supper, when Jesus said there's one, and they all asked, is it me, is it me, is it me? Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? So they didn't know. So this account of John is that before? John 12? Yes. Yes, just prior to the Lord's Supper. Well, what I'm saying is, is, is it's this incident right here that I think was the straw that broke the camel's back as far as Judas Iscariot. He was headed in this direction. Because according to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 26, 14 through 15, it was after this incident of the ointment that we read, one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the high priest and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. 
Was his fragile ego so damaged he sought revenge? Was he trying to force the Lord's hand and establish the kingdom? Did he see in his own way the writing on the wall so he figured he could cash in while he can? Or is it that he had led this life of hypocrisy up to this point to where finally that hypocrisy was exposed and instead of repenting of that hypocrisy, he just surrendered himself to it? Either way, what he did proved to be self-destructive. You see, what I think was going on in Judas's heart was there was an inner estrangement going on in Judas's heart. And he was distancing himself from Jesus in spite of what he was seeing, in spite of what he was witnessing, in spite of what he was hearing. And it came to the point where finally Judas became a susceptible vessel for the devil's use. Now that should be a warning to us. You know, it's been said that there's no handle on the door of the human heart. That's what I drew here, a door on the human heart. There's no handle on the outside of the door of the human heart. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So there's no handle on that outside of that door on the human heart. It's the owner of the heart that has to open that door to let whoever is knocking in. Now, let me clarify something here. I do not believe that a Holy Spirit sealed, born again believer in Jesus Christ can be possessed by a devil. Alright? I do not believe that. I know there's a particular denomination out there that does believe that, but I don't. I don't think it's biblical. But what I do believe is this. That a believer can make themselves vulnerable and open to the devil's influence. Uh, So much so that the devil is able to manipulate them in their thoughts and in their behavior and even poison their attitude. Let me remind you of what Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11.3 and he was writing to believers when he said this. He says, but I fear least by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So often as believers in Christ, yeah, we're saved and we're bound for heaven. But sometimes we leave ourselves open to Satan's corrupting wiles. Um, Not so much oppression as influence. It begins with the influence. And then as you succumb to that influence, then it turns into oppression. I'm talking about that initial stage. Yeah, oppression is you're under you're under yeah, you're under his control. So Jeff, can I just to clarify it's so that in John when he calls him the thief, obviously this was written after the fact. So yes. Go back and look and see yes. So now I know yes. the, 
Exactly. Yeah, this is John's commentary after the fact to inform his readers about Judas Iscariot. Yep. Yeah, that's what that is. And, and the Gospel of John is full of that. He's full, it's full of that. So where was I? Oh, we leave ourselves open to Satan's lies. You see, the working of the devil is subtle. And I think you guys understand this. It's a, it's a suggestion here, a false narrative there, a bit of an exaggeration over an incident here. Uh, it's, it's something that uh, may, a little white lie that might nudge you into the wrong pathway or thinking wrong about another person. That's where it starts. It's these little subtle things that he suggests. It's like with Eve. Yea, hath God said. Right? And it gets you thinking in the wrong direction. Gets you moving in the wrong direction. And it's these little subtle things that leads to greater problems. Greater issues. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life, because he will capitalize on those issues that you don't deal with biblically. He'll capitalize on those things. As an example, Paul gives the warning in 2 Corinthians 2.10, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes I forgave it in the person of Christ, least... Satan should get an advantage of us for you are not ignorant of his devices. A way to crack open that door to your heart is through the issue of unforgiveness. You know, holding a grudge or seeking revenge or uh, failing to truly forgive another person. You, You open that door. And those issues of bitterness or anger or harboring offense, those are the things that Satan will take and he'll start whispering to compound those things into something larger than it should never be. Another one, Proverbs 27.4, it says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Envy. Uh, suspiciousness, uh, jealousy. Um, These are also things that the devil will use. Uh, The the first king of Israel, Saul, was a good example of this. Saul was a man who saw David being praised by the people, right? And what happened? It says here in Psalms 18.9, and Saul eyed David, eyed David from that day forward, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. He was envious of David, and so the devil capitalized on that. And we know the rest of the story. Prideful jealousy, envy of others, that's a door that, that can be wide open for the devil to work. I mean, for crying out loud, that's why he fell in the first place. If anybody knows about prideful envy, it's the devil. It's the devil. Um, Mark 15.10 
Pontius Pilate was astute enough to know why the chief priest delivered Jesus to him. For he knew that the chief priest had delivered him for envy. That was a door wide open for the devil to use. Another one, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil. The church has almost kicked open the door in regards to this. Accepting anybody with any teaching. False teachers will open the doors wide for the devil to come in. Now we're in a spiritual warfare, aren't we? We give lip service to that. Oh, we'll go to Ephesians 6 and we'll quote Ephesians 6. But I sometimes don't think we're fully aware of it. Some of us might even think we're immune to the devil's pestering and the devil's influence. Thinking that, no, he can't beguile me this way or that way. You start thinking like that and you're... Well, that's yeah, that's foolish. That's just plain foolish. See, that's why I think what Jesus said to the group about one of you is a devil, that's why I think that was a warning to Judas. That was a warning to Judas. Judas, examine your heart. In light of what Peter said about me, examine your heart, Judas. I I can't imagine the turmoil that must have been going on in this man's conscience. I mean, think about it. He spent day after day after day in the Lord's presence, behaving like a disciple in appearance, but in fact... His heart was not with Jesus. Ah, uh, not. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. You ever been in a situation where you know you're wrong? <laughs> yeah, and yet, yeah, and just the environment just kind of makes that inside your heart so sensitive. But you're the only one that knows it's, that, that's what's going on in your heart. I mean, can you imagine the, the torture of this man's conscience? It could only be compounded, especially by his actions in being a thief. You know? Helping himself to money that was meant to support the others and to help others. So that's why I believe when Jesus rebuked him about the anointment, ointment that Mary poured on his feet, I think that was all that he could take as far as his conscience was concerned. And instead of repenting, he went the other way. I've seen that. I've seen that with people. They've been counseled. They've been told. They agree with the counseling. They agree with the scripture. But yet they still refuse and go the wrong way. And I think that's what happened here. Instead of repenting, Judas, that just hardened Judas's heart. And he turned against the Lord. 
this is this can be true even of us you know we can silence our conscience we can grieve the holy spirit for so long that we become callous or immune to his speaking to us through his word we can even allow our consciences to become defiled even justifying our actions and our attitudes and our behavior well he said that or she did this or you know we can get ourselves trapped in this this attitude again I don't believe that a man or a woman who is possessed or sealed by the Holy Ghost can be possessed by an evil spirit but I'm telling you we can certainly fall prey to the devil's lies and influence yeah we sure can now something else here as far as the Lord's choosing of Judas uh, there is a a fulfillment of scriptures to keep in mind there's a passage in John 13, 13 that says, I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. And another passage, John 17, 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now this, you know, begs the question, now those scriptures that he's talking about that Psalms 109, 8 through 15 Psalms 41, 9, Psalms 55, 13 through 14 if you're interested in what those are but to me this begs the question and it's, and it's this was Judas predestined to perdition in order for the scripture to be fulfilled or rather is this God's foreknowledge concerning Judas Iscariot's And God revealed it to the psalmist so that his people would be edified and warned about it. Now, I personally believe that no one is predestined to perdition. For God is not willing that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? Judas acted as a free moral agent. He made this decision. To betray Jesus Christ. You see, the foreknowledge of God does not did not force Judas to do this. Judas acted freely of his own accord. He did just exactly what his wicked heart prompted him to do. He didn't start there. He went there. He went there. See, previous knowledge of a thing doesn't alter its nature or cause it to be different from the thing that it is. Okay? Just because God foreknows something doesn't, guarantee, doesn't predestine anyone to perdition. He already knows what's going to happen. That's God's omniscience. And so it's written in, so it's written in the scriptures, evidence of his omniscience for our edification. Not to predestine anyone to perdition. You see, I believe Judas was given ample time and opportunity to repent, given lots of warnings about his intentions. But he didn't listen. He didn't listen. Now listen to this. 
Mark 14, 21. This is, this is the last warning Jesus gave to Judas. The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good word for that man if he had never been born. That was the fast, that was the last final warning given to Judas before Judas did what he did. I'm thinking Jesus is saying to Judas, Judas, you better think hard about the eternal consequences of what you're about to do. Because I believe that Judas still could have said, you know what, I'm not going to go through with this. But he did. But he did. Look at Luke 22.3. You see, by this time Judas was set in his heart... And he was too far down the path that he had chosen for himself. Look what it says here in Luke 22.3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve, and he went his way. And communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. That was his choice. Ezekiel 22.30 says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, And stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see, just as God is looking for men to serve as his instruments to do his will, Satan is also (laughs) looking for those that will do his will. We don't think of that, though, do we? But it's true. It's true. You bet there is. Even within the walls of this building, he's looking for those to do his will. You see, a man or a woman can either be a servant for good or a servant for evil. The choice is theirs to make. But they're going to serve one or the other. Matthew 6.24 says, Let no man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You're going to serve one or the other. It's up to you who you serve. You know, twice we read of Satan entering into this open door of Judas's heart. We read about it here in Luke 22, uh, 22, 3, where the plot begins. And then again in John 13, 27, we read uh, that Satan enters into him when he goes to execute the plot. It was there in his heart. And this is the thing. And this is, I think, something that we often overlook. The devil is always on the scene, guys. He's always there. Um, remember in Luke 4.13 when he came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness? And then after the Lord successfully defeated him, he, he departed for a season? Well, here he's back again two days before Passover. You know, don't fool yourself. Just because he may go away for a time, he'll be back. Like Schwarzenegger. 
I'll be back. I'll be back. That's why we can't let our guard down. But we as God's people, we can be naive and we can forget about our foe, don't we? That's why Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's, he's always there in the bushes and in the grass, waiting to strike. And you know, those who the devil seeks to devour is not necessarily the lost. You know who he targets? Exactly. The saved. That's who he wants to take down. He wants to take me and you down. That's who he targets. And when our guard is down and we make ourselves vulnerable, this is when he comes out of the grass and gets us. You see, the old lion, he's looking for the weak and easy prey. Those who are lame due to an unforgiving heart. Those who are wounded with a wounded spirit or depression or self-pity. Or even those who believe themselves the pride of the herd, right? Galatians 6.3, for if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I think it's those folks that he gets the most. <laughs> the old lion is looking for those who are vulnerable spiritually, whose attitude of heart the devil for some reason has turned them away from the Lord and I think we've all been there a time or two you know what I'm talking about something's going on in my life and I don't want to go to church or I don't want this or I don't. He, he tries to get you out of the out of the herd to separate you from the safety of the herd yes especially especially when we don't know the word And I'll also say this, sometimes God's people will bring that old lion right with them into the church. They'll bring them right along in with their bitterness and their jealousy and their unforgiveness and their pettiness or whatever sin it is that they're harboring, they'll bring him right into the church. They'll invite him along in their gossip sessions in the hallways or as they sit passing judgment on others or shoot daggers at somebody across the sanctuary because they don't like them or they said something or they did something you know when believers behave like that it's like opening up the door to the front of the church and handing the devil a bulletin and shaking his hand at the same time we don't want to do that we don't want to do that so again back to Luke 22 We see that he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains. In verse 5 it says, And they were glad and covenanted to give him money, and he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So last week we saw the world preparing for the Passover, and now we see the devil, or hell, preparing for the Passover. As Judas comes to these enemies of Jesus, and he makes a deal with them they can't refuse. And it's, it's... It says here in verse 5, they were glad for this opportunity. They were glad. 
Jesus's, one of Jesus' own men came to set this up for them. That word glad is translated rejoice in another place. Luke 6.23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. These wicked men were rejoicing over what they were preparing to do. That should make your skin crawl. That should make your skin crawl. The, the wickedness displayed here as we see the world and these chief priests in hell ally themselves together to destroy the Son of God and they were gleeful over this. Wow. Now this begs another question because it says here in verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. This, this brought another question up to my mind. As the devil uses this man that already has a compromised heart, how much did the, did the devil really know? How much did the devil really comprehend about what was going on here? I mean, how much did he really, truly understand as far as the eternal consequences of what was soon to go, to go down? You see, I've heard it taught... The devil is a, is a brilliant cre- creature. He's very smart. And I've heard it taught that the devil knew what was going on here. He knew what was going on. I'm telling you, the devil didn't have a clue what he was doing here. He didn't have a clue what was really going on here. As far as the devil was concerned, he he believed he was thwarting God's plan as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned on earth. I think the devil failed to see the big picture. You might remember I quoted Mark 8.33 when Jesus rebuked Peter. It says, but he turned about and looked on his disciples and rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. And then, like he was addressing Satan, he says, For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You see, the devil is a creature just like you and me. Yeah, he's a he's a he's an angel. You know, I wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe with him. But he's limited in his understanding. See, because he desires the things of men. Stop and think about that. He desires the very same things that sinful men desire. And because he desires those things of men, he is limited in his understanding as far as what God is all about and what God is doing. Let me give you my reasons why I think even though the devil thought he was being very, very smart, he ended up showing himself as a fool. Who is the prince of this world? The devil is, right? Right, the devil is. The Bible teaches that he is really the power behind 
this fallen world system. Uh, he's, he's the power behind the governments and the kingdoms and the, and the nations. Ephesians 2 2 says, Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the, air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Jesus himself said in John 12 31, Now is the judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Again in John 14 30, Hereafter I will not talk much of you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. I mean, even Jesus refers to him as the prince of this world and then Paul when he's talking in Ephesians chapter 6 right when he's talking in Ephesians chapter 6 he's talking about these principalities and these powers and these these this, this spiritual wickedness in high places you know that's that spiritual uh, wickedness uh, that's behind the scenes as far as uh, the governments on this on this fallen planet is concerned you know, the devil is out there influencing the, the Republicans and he's out there influencing the Democrats and he's out there influencing the socialists. And he, he's out there influencing, you know, the independents. He's got his fingers in all of this. If you read Daniel chapter 10, you kind of get a glimpse of this as you see these different angels struggling as God's angels are struggling with the devil's angels. As far as things are concerned on this planet. So there's this, this struggle going on. When the devil um, was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, one of his temptations was that he would promise to give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Yeah. As with everything, you know, the devil kind of gets things perverted and twisted. And he might think he's the ruler of these kingdoms. But is he really? No. Psalm 75, 6 says, For promotion cometh neither from the west, nor from the, uh, from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is a judge. He put it down one and setteth up another. So more accurately, God may allow this or that as far as what's going on. But it's really God who's in control. It's really God who is the sovereign over these nations. Uh, Psalm 75, 6 through 7. Now here's my point. I, I know I w- kind of went all the way around on this merry-go-round. But here's my point about Satan. As smart and as clever and as seasoned a warrior he is in this battle, Satan didn't have a clue what was going down here uh, with his plot to destroy Jesus. Nor did he have a clue about his part in, um, through Judas and the consequences uh, that were to, 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 to come out. You see, the devil is the prince of this world. He is behind all of these nations moving and, and trying to thwart God's will. But the Apostle Paul has something very interesting to say which to me is proof that the devil didn't have a clue what he was doing. 
when he had Jesus crucified. In 1 Corinthians 2.6, Paul's writing, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. In verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Clueless. Clueless. You see, the devil thought he was being clever in killing Jesus. And he only realized his mistake after it was too late. Because when Jesus died and he descended into the place of the dead and he proclaimed victory. And then he led captivity captive from Abraham's bosom and brought those souls into paradise with him into heaven. In the book of Revelations, when John was on the Isle of Patmos, he saw this vision of Jesus, and, he's, and this is what he wrote in Revelations 1.17. He said, But when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and death. I heard a preacher a long time ago preach on this passage. And he preached that when Jesus died and he descended into the earth to free the prisoners from Abraham's bosom, that he marched over to the devil and he snatched from the hands of the devil these keys and said, these belong to me. That makes powerful preaching. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if that's how it went down. It may have gone down that way. I couldn't find anything in the Bible to prove it. But I can picture something like that happening. Because I think the devil, as soon as Jesus gave up the ghost, he knew his goose was cooked. He knew his goose was cooked. Yes, Ron? Uh, in Revelation chapter 9, somewhere God gives the, the uh, keys of hell and death back to Satan. Really? I have to look that one up. I have to look that one up. Just for a time. It's not very long. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is here is that this devil had no clue that with the the death of Jesus would mean his ultimate defeat. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. First John 3, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, I believe if the devil knew what God had planned on this particular Passover, that he was plotting the death of Jesus, I think the devil would have told his minions, back off. Leave this guy alone. Let him die a natural death, if, even if it takes a hundred years. And I think the devil would have followed Jesus around with a pillow to make sure he didn't hurt himself. But this is the way with God's enemies. 
They think they can outsmart God. They think that they've got figured out, and they only realize too late that no, you can't. You can't. See, that's what happened with Judas. He realized it was too late. And so he went out and hung himself. I think also the devil realized it was too late. And he committed the greatest blunder in history in allowing Jesus to go to the cross. Because that meant his defeat. Ultimate defeat. Now let me close with this. As I said earlier... There is no handle on the outside of this door. And if the devil comes knocking on your door, are you going to open it? Sometimes we unwittingly do because of the stuff that we're harboring and we don't deal with biblically. Unfortunately for most people, when Jesus comes to the door to knock, they don't even open it for Jesus. What are you going to do with that door? It's your choice. It's your choice. It's my choice. Lord God in heaven, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the hard sayings of Jesus. But the point is this, Father, when we hear those hard sayings, are we going to harden our heart? Or are we going to tenderize our heart and repent? Repentance is the key. May we always, always have a repentant heart towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.